You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. JR. Hi, I'm Matt. Uh, and we might be talking about Doctor Who. Who knows? Because mea culpa, I forgot, to, <laughs> I forgot to schedule something this week. Okay. I just had so many things going on this week, it just completely slipped my mind. Alright. Well, I did sort of have something planned, but that's going to happen next week instead. You know when they filibuster in the US, in the Senate? Yes. They sometimes just start reading cookbooks? Um, have you got a cookbook? We've got loads of cookbooks. I could just start reading it and you know, why not for two hours? This happened once before, and me and Simon got together and we just chatted for an hour and recorded it. Okay, so that's the plan tonight to get Simon here. Yeah, to get Simon here and talk to him. Well, where's Simon? Simon's at Hooverville. Ah, do you know where Hooverville is? Is it in Derby? You see, I thought Hooverville was somewhere in the United States, but I right. was obviously wrong. Yeah. This is Hooverville with a W, isn't it? Oh, Hooverville. Yes, yeah. 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 Do you know who the guests are? Um, no. Do you? No. I've <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a feeling... No, I don't. I couldn't even, I couldn't even guess. I'm relying on Simon to, to come back and report back. He's taken a recording device with him. Okay. But... Well, last time he did it, he recorded lots of um, panels and we put them on as Easter eggs, but I don't yes. think he's going to do that this time. Right. Okay. Before we talk about Doctor Who, mm. <clears throat> have you got an opinion? Look, everything we talk about tonight, this podcast won't go out for a week after we've recorded it. Right. And most of the things we'll talk about are probably weeks old anyway. Yeah. So people might just get bored and turn off. Either way, but... Surely not. But, before we talk about Doctor Who... As no doubt we certainly will. Do you have an opinion on this whole Taylor Swift thing? Okay, no. Well, tell me what the Taylor Swift thing is. Right, I, so I've of... heard somebody hates Taylor Swift. Right, loads of people have been reposting a link to this report. I can't even remember where it was, but it wasn't like one of the major newspapers. Although the Guardian have okay. uh, written it up now. There's this thing called... Um, she's got a concert tour coming up. Right. Oh, this is the ticket-selling thing. Yeah, it's yes, called okay. Verified Fans or something. Yeah. The system they're using. I think it's been imported from Japan, mm. and now they've started using it in America. And I think this is only about the th- third or fourth tour that's actually used it. Mm. The idea is that instead of selling your tickets to First Come, First Served wherein lots of touts can buy tickets and then sell them on for five times the price. You try and ensure that only fans get tickets by loading the system up with an algorithm. Right. And the algorithm is based on things like album sales, Mm. uh, downloads or hits on particular websites or things like that, like YouTube video of the latest single or whatever. And things like fan exchanges on social media. Right. So if people are talking about 
Taylor Swift on social media, it'll pick up on that and oh, load so that. The, so the... you, you, if you're on the computer that you're doing all of these things on, <clears throat> the ticket selling, selling thing will recognise it and allow you to buy a ticket? Okay. Yeah, which is a good idea, right? Yeah, yeah. I it think... means it will go to fans. Yeah. Or prioritise fans. Prioritise fans over people who are... Well, uh, one of the links I saw somebody post tonight, there was... Um, Somebody made a comment about a They Might Be Giants gig they went to. Oh, I like They Might Be Giants. Me too. Yes. They said that they were in the audience and the two people next to them were just a couple of people who'd gone in to get drunk, had no interest in the band and were just mm. messing about. Right. So, you know, you don't especially want to be standing next to people like that at a concert. No, and if you no. use this verified fan system or whatever it's called, yes. presumably you don't get many people like that. But certainly at least on this occasion, should stop tickets going for tremendous prices with the resale <clears throat> until the ticket touts work out how to get around the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then do it anyway. But that's a, that's like the cold war of technology, that that's always going to be the case. And the thing is, when uh, if, if, as I gather, it is only about the third or fourth time they've used it in North mm. America, obviously there are still things to sort out it's just in its infancy you know it's still teething so it's one of the criticisms this no, kind I'll of tell you the, what the, the jittery is. feeling that that computers are monitoring what you're doing and anything that's sort of no that's okay. not the criticism at all okay see i've never had a problem with that hmm. if i'm on facebook and it's going to put up adverts i don't have a problem with it i find it a little bit creepy so if you've been if you mentioned the word baby on facebook and suddenly it You're springs okay. up nappies yeah but yeah. who knows what you've been saying about babies i mean this could be a really sad story and suddenly facebook starts trying to sell you baby products well it could and sometimes it yeah. i often if i am reviewing a film hmm. which i do like every week or two weeks or whatever yeah. i have to as part of the review you've got to put down the release date mm -hmm. you've got to put down all sorts of other details about it yeah. so obviously when i get a review film through i go on amazon to find out when it's coming out yeah. and i go on imdb to make sure i get the cast and credits right mm -hmm. and then i'll get uh adverts on facebook advertising that film to yes, me yeah. and then I'll get an email from Amazon saying are you interested in this film Yes, and it's like well I've already actually got a copy mm, Yeah. so the internet and its algorithms are obviously far from infallible Yeah. yeah. but mostly I mean the first advert I ever got on Facebook because when I went on Facebook you were supposed to you know this is what I told oh you go in you put down the things you like and all this kind of stuff first advert I got was for a Simon and Garfunkel t-shirt right Obviously, I didn't buy it. I had no interest in a Simon and Garfunkel t-shirt. No. But I'd rather get an advert for a Simon and Garf Garfunkel t-shirt than for thrush cream or something. Yes. Do you know well, what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, it depends what condition you might have. <laughs> but the point is, it's only a computer that's monitoring you. Yes. It's not a yes. person who's monitoring you. No. And I really don't mind that at all. No? So what is the objection? The objection is, right, I'll take a swig of water before I get into this because it's quite a complex issue okay. the objection is <clears throat> in order to decide how the system's going to work you have to program the algorithm right right so for example and you know this to me is the most acceptable bit of it it will judge how much people are talking about taylor swift on their social media accounts yeah and if you're a social, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, mm. you're going to be talking about her 
Yeah. And probably a lot if she's just got a new record out, right? Yeah. So that's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. She has got a new record out and the video's on YouTube, so it monitors whether you're watching the video. Yeah. So it caps it. Right. Because potentially, if you're racking up points for watching the video, yeah. you could just click refresh yes. like every five seconds for a couple of hours or something. Yeah. And you'd get, I don't know, 1,200 hits on the video, mm-hmm. and you'd amass lots of points when you've not actually watched it. So yeah. it caps that at five. Mm-hmm. And you know what kids are like. I don't know what you were like when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, if The Cure, for example, were on top of the pops, I'd mm-hmm. tape it on a VHS tape. Right. And then I'd rewatch it a bunch of times. Yeah. Obviously, it being VHS, it's not as easy as, say, YouTube, where you can yes. just hit refresh and watch it again. But kids who are into Taylor Swift, are going to watch the video over and over again, right? Yeah, yeah. So capping that at five, again, to me, that doesn't seem like remotely an issue. No. Here's the issue. Album sales count. Right. So they've capped that at 13 album sales. Right. Now, plainly, that's ridiculous. Because that, actually buying the album, is going to count for more than watching the video. Right. And it's going to count for more than racking up mentions of Taylor Swift on your social media. Right. But who, in their right mind, is going to buy the album twice, let alone 13 times? Yes, yeah. So the issue is, it seems like this website is encouraging people to pay for the album 13 times in order to guarantee that they're going to get a ticket. Okay. And patently. And patently, if it is encouraging people to buy the album 13 times, that's wrong. Yes, yeah. And actually, you look at it and you can't see any upside to that. Right. Because yeah. they could have capped it at one, right? Yeah. If they're going to cap yeah. it... Yeah, you only needed one album. Yeah. 13. They must know that they've capped it at 13. The computer didn't arbitrarily choose that no. number. Yeah. So someone somewhere has made a decision to say that people can buy 12 copies of the album that they patently don't need mm. in order to ensure they can get a ticket for the concert. And that, without question, is ripping people off. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's all the rest of the things I think are good and to yes. be applauded. Yeah, but it's just got one flaw. Yeah, and that's a pretty big flaw. Mm. The way it's been written up in these articles... They're like saying all of these things, or they're suggesting that the whole thing is ripping people off. Yeah. And patently hitting refresh on a video five times when you're not being charged for it is not ripping people fine, off. a fine line between ripping off and promoting. So, I yeah. mean, if it was just one or two album albums, if it was, if they'd capped it at two or three, is it sales of that? You... Is it sales of that particular album or sales of all of her albums? Well, could it be trying to encourage you to buy a back catalogue? Yeah. Which, well, potentially. Uh, which, at which point 13 might be more sensible. Now, I don't know how many albums <clears throat> she's presumably It won't be 13. But... I think she's got about six. So, Because she was, know. before she became known for what she does now, Yeah, she was a country and western singer. Right, yeah. And I think she's had three albums in the modern style and mm. probably about three in the other style. Yeah, so if it's that, then that might be a bit, oh, yeah. a bit more <clears throat> sort of... Well, the news obviously reports... Obviously, they'll be using it to try and sell... Yeah, well, albums, that's how they make money. Mm. And that's kind of you just... You know. Yeah, yeah, maybe it is, because uh, the uh, reports in the news didn't specify. No. 
And so they give the impression that you've been encouraged to buy the same album 13 times. Maybe it's not. Yeah. And, you know, two times to buy an album. You buy one for yourself and you buy one to give a friend or whatever. Yeah. That doesn't seem like such an outrageous suggestion, really, does Mm. it? Look at this thing I like. Here, you have a copy and see if you like it as much as I do. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm off to the concert. Yeah. Yeah. That's not that unreasonable. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe. But but on the face of it, that particular bit does seem a bit ridiculous. It's kind of Willy Wonka solution, where you just get children buying chocolate bars until they they pop. Yeah, no, that does seem what it's like. Mm. And obviously, well, I say obviously, I I imagine a lot of our fans would be sort of in the lower teens, maybe, I guess. Yeah. Or mid-teens or whatever. I suppose she's been around for a few years now, so actually she'll have a lot of friends who are a bit old, a lot of fans who are a bit older, but who yeah. knows, I don't know. But yeah, it, you know, the criticism is that it's sort of encouraging 13-year-olds to go out and spend $200 on a copy of an album. Price. Or whatever it is. Yeah. So, I don't know. But... One of the things about this that has struck me is that, because a lot of people have been criticising this online, mm. but then they sort of go on to criticise her and the way Correct. she runs her career. Yeah. And what strikes me about that is there's a little bit of misogyny there, because they're criticising yes. her for running her career in a way that if it was a man who was running his career that way, he'd probably be being applauded mm. for looking after his career yeah. rather than kowtowing to record companies and such. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but it just it just feels like there's this well, slight... Miso- misogyny and social media aren't exactly strangers in, <laughs> no. in general, as we've discovered. But do you know what I mean? It yeah, seems yeah, like yeah, there's a slight yeah. streak of misogyny running through yeah, it. Innate, yeah. probably. Yeah. and But, you know, even so... It, feels a bit uncomfortable at times yeah. when people are criticising, you know, Taylor Swift for doing things that, I don't know, a lot of people probably do and yeah. don't get commented But about. this happens a lot. There's a, there's a sort of generation of young female American singers who are kind of, people take naturally against. I mean, I don't listen to, like, Ariane, Ariane. Ariana Grande. Yeah, her. Ariana Grande. I mean, I've, never, I've never heard of I never heard of her until the Manchester. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I wouldn't have taken against her particularly. I don't think. Just I've heard a couple of her records and I didn't like them. No, Taylor Swift. They're... On the other hand, I think some of her singles are great. I'm not sure I've heard any Taylor Swift. Well, you certainly. I know... might have. I might have heard them. You know, in passing. I suspect you probably would. Right. And you certainly know one of the lyrics from one. Haters gonna hate. Oh, is Taylor that a, Swift. Is that a Taylor Swift yeah. thing. Okay. That comes okay. from Taylor Swift. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, so, yes. I, I still don't think I'm probably the, the core market. No, Swift. probably not. No. Okay. I tell you what, though, if I was given the opportunity, I think I'd go. You? Yeah. Well, you should I wouldn't go out of my so. way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about something Doctor Who related instead? Okay. What do you have in mind? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Because. Basically, I, basically, there's been lots of news things lately. Okay. That are sort of ongoing. Yeah. So where are we now with the with the actual? So she shot her first scene. Well, I tell you what happened yesterday as we speak. Yes. 
some clickbait site put out a news story oh saying that um, Chris Chibnall's first series of Doctor Who has been delayed to the autumn of 2018 and fans are apoplectic about it. Right, yes. When actually, I don't think there's a single fan who actually expected to see it before the autumn of 2018. Yeah, I also saw a similar clickbait thing that said that Chris Chibnall's series is going to be outland or out there or like extreme and it linked to somebody talking at a festival saying Chris Chibnall's going to, you know, do something different. With the yeah, yeah, yeah. Which they always say. I mean, that's what they... They're not going to say Chris Chibnall, well, he'll probably just, like, wing it and do it as it's done before. Yeah. He probably won't tell the difference between... They'll say he's doing... And he's already done something, you know, hugely different. By Gaston O'Reilly. But suddenly these, these like, tabloidy... We did... Speaking of Chris Chibnall... Oh, there's been some terrible clickbait stories around. There was one about... <laughs> um, oh, what's the actress who plays Oscar called? Uh, she did a radio interview, yeah. and the guy who was asking the questions probably wasn't a Doctor Who fan, but he asked her a bit about Doctor Who, right? and he phrased some question slightly oddly in the way he referred to Doctor Who fans, and she said, oh, you probably shouldn't say that. Yes. Not in a sort of patronising way, but just as in a you know, you've made a bit of a mess of that question, the way you yes. phrased it. And there's a clickbait article... I can't remember a name, but Osgood Corrects Radio DJ. Yeah, I'm like, well, that yeah. really is taking clickbait to a whole other I mean, level. It's a, big, it's a real, uh, it's quite, it's depressing, but they must get people. They get clicks. Like looking at it. Well, I did. I looked yeah, at this one because yeah. I thought, what the hell's that all about? That's really, yeah. You and it's just, through? it's just filling up space. You don't know, yeah. and I don't want to. I don't want to sound like Donald Trump, but it is. That it, that's the fake news. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. news that's got well, no, you don't know no what basis. The, it's you just... don't know what the story is until yeah. you get to the website, yeah. right? That's the, the whole idea. And the problem is when real news comes along, when there's something actually substantial it's hard to coming distinguish along, between the two. It's just like the Bradley Walsh stuff, which I haven't talked about because well, we're we about to last probably. week. But yeah. I mean, I don't. I now can't tell if that's just a, a rumor dropped or or you know. Well, I'll say what I said last week, but right. I think I said it last week about how the story came about. I think I heard a suggestion from somebody that what had happened. But yeah, if 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 a story's happening and you get a bunch of clickbait articles that all seem to be referring to the same story, yeah. you know not to bother because yeah. you know it's the same story. Yeah. But it's when, and this is what, the Radio Times are a real bugger for this. Well, they're st- yeah, they're starting to pick up these stories. Yeah, but what and... they'll del- do is delay it by a few days. Right. Yeah. Or they'll get it, or they'll get a copy of because they steal a lot of their stuff from um, Doctor Who magazine. Yeah. So they'll just pull quotes out of interviews in Doctor Who magazine. Yeah. And they'll get it. Subs copies go out, generally speaking, mm. just slightly before the magazine's on the shelf. Mm. So they'll get this. They'll get a copy of Doctor Who magazine first thing in the morning, get their story out on the website the day yes. before the magazine's published. So most of the people reading the magazine haven't read the quotes, don't yeah. know what the story's going to be. Bingo, yeah. clicks for Radio Times. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's problematic. So uh, my background is a sort of an academic one. And a lot of the time when you're doing research, academic research, you have to go to the right places for information. You, yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. you can't put, I got this information from Wikipedia in an, Afri- an academic article because no. you would be laughed at. So you have to find, even though that information is correct, you have to find that information 
in a journal or in a, a book published by an academic, something that's been peer reviewed. Or find and it on Wikipedia and click through the which is, references. Which is what you do do. Yeah, which yeah, is what yeah. you do do. Or you double check. Um, yeah. But with these sorts of news stories, again, this is where this is where things like newspapers and I assumed the Radio Times came in useful because I assumed that they had some degree of authority. That if they present, they had some sort of journalistic ethics. Oh. If they present a news story, it's not just taking this sort of ethereal piece of information that's been cycling around these mm. amateur amateur websites. Oh, these days, And yeah. then they just recycle it. But that's now we're having to look at, you know, quite, I mean, the Express, the Mail, they're not, you know, they're not, great newspapers but they still have journalists professional journalists working at them wow. but we're now having to assess which of these newspapers which of these sources are like solid verified sources yeah, yeah. and actually some of the amateur ones are now more solid professional yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, well the a few years ago and they probably still do it but a few years ago it sort of reached a bit of a zenith the sun and the mirror i believe or maybe the star i don't know which ones had journalists who um, signed up for accounts on Gallifrey Base, okay. so they could troll through the um, troll troll through the um, spoiler yeah. sections of the website, and they would literally mm. print people's speculation yeah. as spoilers. So, so it wasn't even spoilers that no. were printing; it was speculation. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the equivalent <clears throat> of an academic citing a Wikipedia article. Yeah. Whereas it's perfectly it's perfectly reasonable for them to to sign up for Gallifrey Base, get information from Gallifrey Base, but then they have to, if they're proper journalists, then then go to legitimate sources and find to, out to like they can't. I mean, it's not journalism isn't about speculation; it's about presenting facts and speculating on them. But if those facts are insubstantial, then you've got no story. Generally speaking, nowadays, it does seem to have devolved into a position whereby a lot of the newspapers and things like the Radio Times have a print edition and a web edition. Mm. And they make a lot of their money through the web edition by printing clickbait articles. But they reserve the stuff which is more substantiated for the print edition. Yeah. So generally speaking, if you see a story in the mirror, yeah. to give one example, if it's on the website, mm. then chances are it's just clickbait. Yeah. If it's on the website and in the print edition, mm. chances are there's a bit more to it. Yeah. Now the yeah. Broadly, Bradley, Broadly, Bradley Walsh thing actually made it onto the front pages of whichever one it was. Was that the mirror? I Possibly. think it was. Possibly. So if the Bradley Walsh one was on the front pages chances are they think that they've got something hmm. that, that they can pretty much stand I mean, it had by. that ring of... had a uh, ring of authenticity, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm also aware that suddenly... So, demanding journalistic ethics in reporting Doctor Who is also <laughs> a little bit silly because in the end, Doctor Who news isn't that important no. news. So, if we get fake Doctor Who news then we grumble about it, but actually it doesn't it's matter. more important that we get real news about politics and about, you know, things that are actually happening. But so the but the Bradley Walsh thing did have a, a ring of truth? Well, what I heard, and I'm now thinking back, I wish I'd taken more notice of this, what I heard was that 
Bradley Walsh had a friend, I don't know, maybe he goes to the pub with or something, mm. and he quite often confides tidbits about what he's got coming up. Yeah. To this friend, and they just chat about it. Mm. And <laughs> apparently, when Bradley Walsh said, and I've got this part, the companion, whatever, yeah. whether the companion was what he said or what was speculated out of what he said, I don't know, mm. coming up in Doctor Who, yeah. as soon as this friend heard those two words, Doctor Who, a little pound sign pinged on the top of his head and he sold it to a newspaper. Okay. That's what I heard. Now, I don't know, because thinking back, I wish I'd taken more notice, I don't know if the person who said that was speculating that that was what might have happened yeah. or was saying that that was what he had heard had happened. I think the latter. Yeah. I got the impression as I read it that he was saying, this is what I've heard has happened. Right. But now thinking back, I can't guarantee that he wasn't just speculating this is the sort of thing that could have led to that story. So there are four po- four possibilities. One, Bradley Walsh has nothing to do with Doctor Who, and this is all rubbish. Yeah. Two, Bradley Walsh has something to do with Doctor Who, but it could just be a part in Doctor Who. Yeah. And his companion and speculation. Three, it could be a companion, but in a regular, like... In a recurring rather yeah, than... Yeah. Regular that's, that he's, if right. he's successful, then maybe like Matt Lucas, they'll you know have him crop up again. Or four, he could be a full-blown travelling companion. Well, there was one part of this um, story that narrows that down a bit. Right. Which was that as part of what he had presumably said to this friend... He was saying, I've got to give up everything else. Right, okay. But I don't want to give up the chase, so we've managed to work out a way that I can do it and still do the chase. Okay, okay. So it's probably a fairly substantial role. It must be substantial if he's had to give his time over to it. Right. Now, the way the chase is recorded, because obviously... It seems to be on all the time, no, but actually batch, batch recorded exactly. Yeah. So, well, you know like that as well as I do. But weeks. for anybody who's listening, he doesn't really appreciate that. Mm. They'll record. Well, it's now a long program, and it probably takes about two hours to record each episode. Yeah. But then, actually, no, it's forty-five minutes, so maybe you could get it. But probably about two hours per so episode. Be about four a day. Well, you could potentially do four a day. Yeah, I would have thought probably more like three because you've got to get people in and out right yeah. you've got to make sure bradley walsh gets plenty of breaks because yes. you can't just do it all day without stopping you yeah. couldn't keep it up yeah. i would have thought three a day who knows but then if it's three a day and you do it maybe six days yeah and you do it for two weeks yes yeah. then you're talking nearly 40 editions yes right? yeah yeah which is almost a year's worth or it's <clears> probably a year's worth. well no because it's on daily yeah so 40 oh, editions okay. is yes, still like yeah, eight yeah, weeks yeah. worth. Right. Okay. But then if it goes in eight weeks runs, yes. and then you get repeats, and then, or whatever. Yeah. But what I'm essentially saying is, well, you know what I'm saying. It's is not that, as much work as it sounds. No, good. if he can take a, because people, I mean, if you don't think about it, you just think it's on every day, so he records one every day. Mm. And obviously that's not the case. No. Mm. So if you look at what, People like Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant and Billy Piper and then Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi and that have done. Mm. They've worked the schedules around so that they'll occasionally get like a five-day break. Yeah. Even though the production is still ongoing Mm. throughout those five days. Yeah. So, for instance, Tennant might record all his scenes for an episode. So there are 
an episode takes three weeks to record. I think it's two and a half, but let's say three weeks for the sake of argument. Yeah. Potentially, you get Tennant to record all his scenes in the first fortnight mm. and then give him a week off. Yeah. So I can imagine that if Bradley Walsh actually is going to be the full-time regular companion across the entire series, mm. then they will just organise the production schedule mm. so that he does two weeks on an episode and then they do a week on that episode without him. Mm. And then they do a week on the next episode without him. Yeah. And then he does two weeks on that episode. Yeah. That shouldn't be that difficult to do. Especially in a series like Doctor Who, where you can, if necessity means you have to, write episodes where although the companion's in the episode mm. every week, yeah. they might be in a split-off storyline where we don't actually get to see as much of them. It's odd that... So the... the... I think the series, so the series is approaching, and this is the extreme version of that, which is the Doctor Light and the Companion Light episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to start with, with Russell T. Davis, there was a very obvious Doctor yes. Light episode and a very obvious Companion Light episode. Yeah, yeah. It's getting a lot more blurred, particularly more recently, I think. So they've, well, they've, they've Moffat, been able to yeah. manage or, or sort of deal with them. And it's odd how it's also... It's also kind of mimicking how it was made in the 60s, in those sort of early Hartnell episodes where you get Hartnell knocked on the head. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was done clumsily then, so Hartnell's knocked on the head and spends a, a week well, in these bed. Days, yeah, these days it's like a very sophisticated version of that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, where... weird, it's weird how that went away. So Tom, ba- yeah. Tom Baker was in absolutely every episode yeah, yeah. without... Without you know, but in these days break. you just say, "Oh, the doctor's stuck in his TARDIS for this episode." Yeah. So you see him every two minutes. Yeah. But yeah. just for twenty seconds, yeah. and just on the one set. Yeah. And it so, works. It works quite well. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't do that throughout the entire thing. But if Bradley Walsh were to be in every episode, they could easily, especially as considering he's in his late fifties, mm. if he is the full-time regular companion, he's not going to be the only one, right? Yeah, they'll have somebody younger as well. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. But let's talk about that in a second because okay. I want to talk about that. Okay. But but just to carry on with that point. Yeah. If there's somebody else in the episode as well, the need to have as much of him in it. Yeah. Is diminished even further. Well, this is what I was going to say. So, oh right, so sorry. I thought you were going Christi- to. I mean, Chibnall's background is in ensemble cast. Well, the very which first is the, thing he did, which on is the modern was, the modern way. Yeah. This is why America can get away with with huge numbers of episodes in a season because you very rarely have Split the story. a central character that's in absolutely everything. I mean look at Game of Thrones, yeah, which yeah. is which is a massive, sprawling epic, but the actors will probably, you know, it's, it's a lot of work for the actors, but it's not like twenty weeks no. of work. And I wonder if one of the changes Chipton's gonna make is not entirely to go down that Road because it's still Doctor Who and you still need the Doctor as the central character, but to create a more of an ensemble. Piece. Well, I think the suggestion that Bradley Walsh will be a companion suggests that that's more the direction he's heading in. Yeah, which is what I said about a year ago or whenever mm. it was that we found out that Chris Chibnall was taking over. I thought would be the case because if you look at things like Broadchurch. Mm. It's clear that he, and if you look at his Doctor Who episodes as well, I think it's clear that he favours a situation where you build 
a community of some kind. Yeah. And then show the impact on that community of an event. Yeah. So in Broadchurch, obviously, it's a community who lives by the sea in Dorset, and the event is the death of a child. Mm. In Doctor Who, it's a community on a spaceship, yeah. and the event is people are getting taken over by the sun, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. But he did the same thing in The Hungry Earth, and he did the same thing in Dinosaurs on the Spaceship. Power of Three, yeah. Well, in Dinosaurs on the Spaceship, the sort of community he builds yes. is imported in. Yeah. But you actually get to see those people getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like you say, Power 3 kind of does the same thing, yeah. albeit in a slightly different way. Yeah. To me, it's clear that he favours that sort of approach. Yeah. So if he's going to be the sort of lead writer behind Doctor Who, mm. then also you look at Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and the Power of 3, and you've got the character of Brian Williams, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is... And in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, you've also got Riddell and Nefertiti. Mm-hmm. So it seems like... He also likes bringing in the way that Russell T. Davis had recurring characters and the way that Stephen Moffat has had <clears throat> River Song and Menage a Trois. Yes. Menagerie a Trois, rather. Yeah. Then I think that I would have thought that Chris Chibnall would do that more, make yes. more of a thing of it, yeah. as I mean, opposed I, to having it peripheral, have it more central. I think Chris Chibnall's background suggests that that's what yeah. he would do, but it's also about how modern TV is developing. Well, yes, so modern this TV is that's saying, developing yeah. with ensemble casts, with not just arc storylines, but novel-like storylines. I and mean, you still get episodic television, obviously, in America, but the really quality, the real quality television is starting to be you know, things like House of Cards, Game well, of Thrones, narratives. Twin Peaks, ongoing narratives. And and that's something that Doctor Who has tried to fake before. Well, and it's tried to sort of add to before, but it's always been an anthology series. The thing is, Doctor Who doesn't try and compete with these programmes. No. Because Doctor Who is still essentially a children program, children's program, or yeah. if you want to call it a family program. Yeah. What Doctor Who has always done, the Daleks mm. is the time machine. Yeah. Reimagined for children watching television. Yes. The Hinchcliffe era was Hammer Horror films reimagined for children watching television. Yeah. And I think Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who has essentially been something like the West Wing in space reimagined for not right. the not the plot or the milieu, yeah. but the sensibility of it. Yeah, has been like something like an Aaron Sorkin thing. Yes, reimagined for children. Yeah, I think Chris Chibnall's, like you say, could be. I mean, I don't think it's going to compete. I don't think it's aiming no. to compete, but emulate. but it's aiming to take what they're doing yeah. in those programs yeah. and reimagine it for children. Yeah, yeah, and also that's that's kind of. A cheaper way. I mean, it's potentially a cheaper way of, of doing producing television like, yeah. because Game of Thrones. To go back to Game of Thrones, it's really shockingly expensive, obviously, and it's really sprawling and epic. But actually, you know, it's quite a it's quite a well. Well, if you keep a, to a, a core cast, machine, I think if you keep to a core cast, mm. that saves you in Doctor Who terms, some of the job yeah. of having to go out and every three weeks find an entirely brand new cast. Yes, yeah. And they do have a... This is one thing that I'm not sure is that well known about Doctor Who, but they do have a pay cap. 
Right. So anybody who comes to work on Doctor Who has to take a does, has does to take P, a lower does pay. P, does PCAP have a pay cut? <laughs> no, not for the. I mean for the guests. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have yeah. a pay regime for the guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So each week they will have a main guest star sure. who can be paid up to X amount, but mm. no more. Yeah. So it's capped right. on Doctor Who, whereas yeah. other programs wouldn't have a cap because they don't have to work the same system, right? Yeah. Yeah. So on Doctor Who, they have this cap. So when, for example, you've had somebody, I don't know, because I don't, I, you don't get to see the figures, but somebody like Simon Callow, for example, yes. if he comes in and does three weeks on The Unquiet Dead, yeah. he's not getting paid for those three weeks, what he might be getting paid, for instance, for doing Winston Churchill on no. a stage somewhere yeah. in yeah. the West End or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they'll come in and do it because it's Doctor Who, right? Yeah. Which yeah. has always been the way. Yeah. But... Nevertheless, still, the way it's made at the moment, especially with the sort of, still kind of that movie of the week formula, mm. 12 episodes a year, you've got to go out and find an entirely new cast. Yeah. And even if that's only one major speaking part and a bunch of smaller parts with only a few lines, you've mm. still got to find them. Yeah. You've still got to engage them, mm. make sure they're all free for the right dates. Yeah. And this is, and this is, costly in terms of time consumption right yeah and in terms of having teams of people and it also ties it also ties in with the idea that's sort of gone away a bit but i assume is still ticking away which is the idea of the writer's room well yeah, yeah because the writer's room is the natural environment for creating these these sort of ongoing not, ju- not just arcs but you know storylines that that keep on going and you can still have different different stories each week you can still keep an anthology feel to it well, i tell you but it's just you know yeah look here's you know this is not a serious idea but when the idea first came up that he might just tell one story across 12 episodes or whatever mm. i thought well first episode set on earth you tell a little story about how the doctor meets the companion and there's some autons or something mm. And at the end of the episode, they're having a conversation and the Doctor mentions Einstein and the companion says, who? And the Doctor says, you know, Einstein, famous scientist. And the companion says, don't know who you're talking about. Mm. And the Doctor says, well, okay, here's an encyclopedia on the shelf next to us. Einstein, I'll show you. Looks in the encyclopedia, no mention of Einstein. Yes. So Einstein's been taken out of time and space mm. so the doctor spends the next 12 episodes looking for einstein yeah. and wondering why and where yeah. he's gone it turns out, and then you get to go to different planets it turns out pippa jane baker have kidnapped him and yeah. start, strapped into a brain Quite made out of condoms strange matter brain yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. as simple yeah, yeah. as that know, gives yeah, you a yeah. reason to go yeah. hunting all over yeah. time and space. Yeah, I mean, a, a model, not a particularly good model for it, but Dalek's master plan. 12 it's, episodes? It's 12 episodes, but it's not Different really, it's not really week, one story. Time, it's, actually, yeah. it's actually 12 episodes with a three-part historical drama set on set in ancient Egypt in the middle. And then but the because it's called Dalek's master yeah. Vulcan and all yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, that works perfectly well. Yeah. yeah. Sort of modernised. Yeah, I've, I think I've cited that in the past. As, yeah. And even, I mean, and many people it, have. I'm not saying I'm the only one. But and if it doesn't work, then you just go back to, what you know, the move of the week yeah. anthology, the old model. But this is, this is, you know, it's not about competing with modern television. It's about 
taking the best of modern television and trying to play with it, it, which is what Doctor Who generally does well. Well, Doctor Who's never been about being original, Mm. really, has it? It's always been about telling other people's stories. Yeah, Yeah. it's riffing on on sort of genres and ideas and its its own mythology as well. So, getting into what the relationship could potentially be, mm. you've got a, I'm not sure how old Jodie Whittaker is, 36, something like that? Yeah. And Bradley Walsh is maybe 57? Something like that, yeah. So, it makes sense to, and we did touch on this last week, but when he talked about it very briefly. So, it would make sense to me, if you've got a 36-year-old woman and a 57-year-old man, that you've also got like a 25-year-old. I'm talking in terms of the actress, not necessarily the character, yeah. woman or man, as yeah. well. Yeah. So you, if Bradley Walsh is travelling on the TARDIS every week, or however they're playing the series, it strikes me that it would have to be, wouldn't have to be, but I think would essentially have to be three people on the TARDIS. Right. I don't know, do, do you think so? Possibly, but I, I mean, I think... Because of what we'd said before, I think all bets are off. Yeah. So it's difficult, it's difficult to now think of a TARDIS crew. I mean, I, I like, so... But I think you've also yeah. got to have the identification character for the children. Yeah. And the teenagers and the young adults. Yeah, possibly. But Bradley Walsh could be that. I mean, he's he's got that kind of... He's, he's got, got that, that every man depre- Depressingly, he's... I don't want to say Joe Pasquale... Yeah, but, 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 think, just but think about what Joe Pasquale used to be before, he and did he was really popular with children. So, so these kind of slightly, and I don't want to. Well, I always God, said, um, like Timmy Mallet, that that sort of thing. These sort I, of creep, creepy, Mr. Tumble. Yeah, Mr. Tumble. I always said that I mean, um, a lot, a lot of them have, have fallen to Operation Utri. You know, yeah. <laughs> I always said that Peter Capaldi was essentially playing Victor Meldrew for kids. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a perfectly sort of valid and reasonable and entertaining and enjoyable character to play for kids. Yeah. So potentially Bradley will... I mean, if Bradley Walsh plays the character he played in Law and Order, I mean, so his character in Law and Order, I didn't watch much of Law and Order because I thought it was boring because I don't like series that just keep on... But anyway, Mm. Bradley Walsh was really good in it. Mm. He was really sort of buttoned down, dour, kind of browbeating. It was a bit like a sort of Morgan Freeman from Seven... Right, character. yeah. And if he plays him like that, I don't think it would work very well. He wouldn't be an, an identification figure. But the fact that he can play that means that he's he, a good actor. Range, so yeah. he's got range. If he plays a kind of version of Bradley Walsh, this kind of slightly see, childlike, cheeky... Cheeky chappy. Yeah. <laughs> then that will be a, a, an identification figure. I, think I could imagine, though, Blubbin. him having a trajectory where he goes from starting like that mm. to having his eyes open to things yeah. and coming out of them. I the similar sort of trajectory to the one that Peter Capaldi's been on for yeah. the last three series. Yeah. And and maybe the maybe that will he'll swap places with the doctor in that sense. So the Jodie Whittaker doctor might start sort more dour and, and actually become oh, yeah. So they'll yeah. balance one another out. So by the end of it she might be a bit Lighter. I still see a third person though because apart from anything else, I think if you've got a fifty-seven year old guy in the TARDIS mm. with a thirty-six year old woman, yeah, then that can quickly, very quickly, get slightly uncomfortable. Well, I mean, in mo- that... 
Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say, in that you either don't address the sexuality at all, Yeah. in which case it's like, really, do you think this 57-year-old guy and this 36-year-old woman would be travelling and neither of them would be thinking that? So one, th- one thing they haven't done... Apart from in... Or I was just going to say, or on the other hand, you do address it, in which case it becomes uncomfortable for that reason. So one way of getting around that, and something they haven't done, is maybe if the other companions, the other travellers in the TARDIS, were Bradley Walsh's family. That's what I'm saying. That's why you'd have to have other travellers in the TARDIS. So maybe his kids, maybe his wife, or maybe an entire family gets swept up in the TARDIS. And they've never really done... They've done that in the, the Peter Cushing movie... The quite closest su- quite thing successfully. In the modern era that they've done is Amy and Rory. Yeah. Married couple in the TARDIS. And and Rory's dad. Which yeah. which was which a Christian. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So so maybe maybe it's Bradley Chris, Walsh and his daughter. And maybe it's son. Chris Chibnall taking that that kind of pattern from uh Paris Re Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and just thinking that really, that worked series, really well. And it yeah. did work really well. I mm-hmm. wanted to see more of Mark Williams in the series because I thought he was really good. But well, we did touch on this last week. Right. And we said, oh, I, I think I suggested and his daughter. Yeah. And I think what was said was, mm, you might get to a position whereby his character is always thinking, how safe can I keep my daughter? And that could get old really quick. Yeah. But I think I countered that by saying, yeah, but actually then you can get some really interesting interactions going on between him, his daughter, the doctor, and the doctor and him. Yeah. So actually that's a... So you could do it either way. It could be his daughter or it could be another stranger. And if it... and if, But if it is his daughter, then obviously, as as the guys probably said, there's constantly feeling that, that jeopardy. But if the storyline's set up so it's not about going off in the TARDIS and having larks and going back home. What if it's about going off in the TARDIS and getting lost and not being able to get home? So suddenly, or potentially, suddenly they're forced into these Or these potentially, stories. what if it's about going off in the TARDIS and getting something done? Yes. Like yeah. I said, with the, I mean, a silly suggestion, but the thing about Einstein is you yeah. actually go off with a mission. Yeah, yeah. So you can't and, yeah. come home until the mission's complete, yeah. essentially. yeah. Or the destruction of the Earth, or something like that. Yeah. The the Rose Rose started out with the destruction of the Doctor's homeworld. Why don't we start out the series with the destruction of the Earth? And it's all about trying to solve that, but they can't take them back to the Earth. Because that's a really that. powerful. Yeah, yeah. That would be a really powerful dynamic. It would get well, around a lot of these issues. And one thing that they become because... refugees in the sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's a yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I call it a funny face, but then okay. because I once laid out what my idea for an ongoing Doctor Who storyline across the series would be, right. and that was essentially it. Okay. okay. Um, one of the things that Chris Chibnall has been saying lately, mm. or in other words, has probably been saying throughout his entire career, but it's been noticed that he's been saying it lately, mm. is he's more interested in the emotional impact on the characters than necessarily the originality of the plots or whatever. Right. So I don't think he made that exact comparison, but that was essentially the sense of what he was saying. Mm. So if Chris Chibnall's more interested in the emotional impact on the characters, then it makes sense that he'd stick a father and a daughter in the TARDIS Mm -hmm. because you're going to get much more emotional impact much more quickly and much more powerfully that way than you are if you stick three strangers in there. Mm -hmm. And yet 
I mean, you can do it that way yeah. and have them learning about each other and learning yeah. to care for each other. Mm. But you stick two family members in there mm. uh, and that's done half the work for you. And that's quite a canny thing to say as well because one of Chibnall's, one of the jobs Chibnall has is to is to separate himself from Moffat without saying, this was rubbish, I'm doing it my way. So yeah, he sort yeah. of said Moffat, so, uh, so Moffat, obviously takes the stories so it's, he's all about intricate stories and he still has characters obviously but the, sto- do, the stories are first yeah and the characters lot in Moffat tends to do the emotional stuff through metaphor as yeah, much as through yeah. actual emotion where it sounds from that statement by Chibnall like he's possibly maybe going for more generic back more in, generic yeah, stories yeah. which isn't a bad thing because Doctor Who is built on generic stories I mean Talons of Wen Chiang Pyramids of Mars these aren't complicated stories it's all about the characters in them. It's about mm. Jago and Lightfoot. It's about the Scarmans and their relationship. And so if Chibnall starts doing that sort Going of thing, back, heading back that then way, actually yeah. that might start feeling a bit more traditional and might win over the more old school fans whilst still bringing in yeah, new yeah. fans with the types of characters that Chibnall introduces. Yeah, yeah, that would work. And yeah. I think that looks like... I mean, that goes back to what I said about he likes building the community and then seeing what effect an event has on them. Yeah. And that goes back to that because that's all mm. about the emotional impact on the community and the way the relationships either strengthen or fracture. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, I, that's what, what I think his whole career has been mm. pointing towards that he likes doing. Yeah. He did United, which yes. is about the impact yeah. on a community of a plane crash. Mm. He yeah. did the Great Train Robbery, which although it was about the cops and the robbers, yeah. the cops was one community, the robbers was another community, mm. and it was about the impact of this event. And I hope he brings those qualities to it. And yeah, not the, yeah. Not the, the only other... So I haven't seen... I've seen a fair amount of Chibnall, but the one thing I've seen of Chibnall that really I didn't think was very good at all was his Arturian. He did an Arturian version, which was one of the worst... Oh, really? One of the worst things I've, I've seen, seen for it. a long... It's very, very painful. I don't think it survived. So I I think possibly... He said there was a lot of interference. Yeah, that, I think. But but I enjoyed the first series of Broadchurch. So that's that's good. So, you know, and I've always been sort of open-minded. And... Well, he also did Born and Bred. I think that was his first telly. And I think he right. show-ran that. Okay. And that was a lovely thing. That was in the... I think it was pre-Ballyka's Angel. But right. It was that... I th- in fact, I think it's essentially what created that sort of mid-evening, homely, mm. northern or sort of um, right. uh, provincial sort of drama with a bit of comedy yeah. type slot. I mean, it's sort of heartbeaty. Yeah. Heartbeat, but I, the- I have a feeling it preceded all these things and essentially all these things came right. as a reaction to it. I could be wrong, mm. but it was... 20 years ago, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, 97, I think. 96, 97. Yeah, so point. I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, possibly. It would, it would be around that yeah, time yeah, anyway. Yeah. It was one of those yeah. things. And that's where he started. Mm. And again, that's about a community. And each week, something happens. Mm. And then you get to see how that impacts on the community. Yeah. yeah. I mean... And that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, mm. and it sounds like all stories probably, if you don't think about it, are about that. But actually, yeah. that's far from the case. No, and it's it's probably. I mean, and it's more difficult to do that in Doctor Who. But if you can do that in Doctor Who, 
then that's a thing you can bring to Doctor Who that yes. actually and these becomes are quite, distinctive. These are quite thing. broad, broad approaches to Doctor yes. Who. So there's always still going to be Doctor Who in mm. there. I mean, it's not going to be like Doctor Who isn't going to suddenly be broad church in space. It's not going to be born and bred in space. No. It's going to be maybe these types of approaches, these types of structures, these types of ways of making it. But then there's going to be Doctor Who in there. There's but still going to be... Yeah, like, essentially, it probably just means that there'll be more stories like Frontios. Yeah. Where you've got a community mm. that's under some kind of pressure. Yeah. yeah. Rather than stories like, I don't know, The Girl Who Waited, mm. where it's the time travellers undergoing some time paradox type plot. Yeah. yeah. So it just means more of one type and less of the other, yeah. fewer of the other. Presumably it doesn't mean you'd rule either one out entirely because it's not like he's going to sit and just write the same story over no, and over no, again. No. But that sounds, I, I don't know, it just suggests to me that that'll be his central idea for the programme. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we, we've basically filled our episode talking about Chris Chibnall. That's fine. I mean, we're. I mean, we're still. So, do we know where he is at the moment? What's what stage is it at? So he hasn't. Well, we haven't started filming. We apparently he, filming starts at the end of October or early November. Okay, so it's getting quite close. Yeah, and um, because actually he was apparently running a secret office, even while he was. The story was that he wasn't going to start Doctor Who until after he'd finished Broadchurch. Right. And that was the official thing put out. Yes. But I'm not sure they actually quoted him, but that was the official but story. But as I said on the podcast at the time, I he thought, I thought he would probably actually... But he, he, would never, he was never going to be just... Like, you can't, you oh, can't just draw a clean dividing line between oh, no, 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 no. the two. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm going to start writing Doctor Who now. You, because he's probably <laughs> been writing Doctor Who preparing it for like 20 well, 30 years yeah and as soon as you know you've got the job you're obviously going to start thinking about it yeah. but what i mean is they actually set up an office for it right so we actually had a sort of i guess not in, a production office right. but a sort of pre-production office. i guess they needed that for the casting so so they needed some sort of structure because stephen yeah Moffitt, whatever stephen am i right stephen moffat didn't know who'd been cast i think um, that was a surprise to stephen moffat I because th- I read yeah, it, I, I read right. I read that in the the production notes in oh, a magazine, and I was surprised yeah. that, and I think Stephen Moffat kept out of that casting decision. I think Matt Smith knew. Oh yeah, because, <laughs> but but Stephen apparently Moffat apparently to somebody. Or but something. if Stephen Moffat didn't, then that means it was kept completely out of that production office. Oh, it which wasn't means necessarily kind of a that they kept it office. from him. So much as maybe he said to them, I don't want to know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. imagine, yes, yeah, they probably, yeah. Because I would think no, a, he would have, yeah. Yeah, I, I would have thought as a courtesy they'd yeah. offer to yeah, tell yeah. him. Yeah, But, yeah, because I mean. But the fact that he People look at him from the outside yeah, and think, he, oh, Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat, entirely different regimes, probably hated each other and didn't speak. No. And the same with Moffat and Chibnall, which of course is absolute rubbish. No, yeah. And that's not how it is at all. yeah. But yeah, so there's obviously a lot more conversation going on. Maybe it's not entirely distinct, but it is a changeover. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other subjects you want to bring up before we sign off? Um, well, so so I mean, so this is going out in a week's time. Mm-hmm. So the final two parts of Twin Peaks 
uh, are on. I was thinking more Doctor Who, tomorrow. things that we can no, converse no, no. about. So Twin Peaks is similar to Doctor Who in many ways. So those final two episodes and this this series. So it's been eighteen episodes, and it's been probably one of the most original. I mean, obscenely inventive television series, certainly of the year. I think. And possibly possibly the decade. Dear listener, I have picked up a book and I'm now reading to myself while Matt monologues. I mean, it's it's just so so this whole this whole season of Twin Peaks, and I don't think there's going to be a second one. So it's been framed as a as a as a single. I know one of the casters today said that um, he said if it was successful, he'd do another. Or one of the cast, yes. But if David Lynch doesn't want to do another season. No, David Lynch told this member of the cast that if it was successful, he wanted to do another. Oh, for heaven's sakes. And now that well, member of the cast, I can't remember who it is, one of the original cast members, one of the women. Okay. Name the women okay. and I might... Uh, Laura Flynn... Well, no, no she's not, not in her. it. Um, Sherilyn Fenn? Might um, have been Sherilyn Fenn. Okay. I, this is, if I remember yeah. rightly, I saw I mean, this possible. earlier It's today. possible. It's possible. But then he intended to do a, a second after the first but waited for 25 years so it's perfectly possible that he's he plays the long game so well, he if might, he does might do not it, be like he's going to have to write 18 episodes so it's going to be a couple it's of years be a while, yeah and he's not young but it all depends on how he concludes it tomorrow basically in this in this this two part two part finale so right. I've been watching that and Westworld. I've watched the first season of Westworld. I was going to get into more tiny Doctor Who things. Okay. Do we do? do we want There's to do been it? a suggestion that character options are going to drop the three and a half inch scale that they moved to a couple of years ago and go back to five inch scale toys and relaunch the toy range in the original size that it was under Russell T Davis. Oh. Okay. Which, so Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's good. I mean, I don't collect the I don't collect the toys as such. I've got three, I think, three action figures. A lot of people do, though. Yeah, a lot of people were very upset when they went to three and a half. I can inches. imagine, yeah. And if the reason I don't is because I know that if I got more than maybe four or five, then, then I'd start thinking, well, yeah. I want one of each doctor, obviously. And if I don't want them to be on their own, so I'd buy a few companions. But I best buy a lot more companions, and you need monsters. I'm talking new series toys, though. Okay. More than the classic series, because right. the classic series toys they carried on doing um, oh, the, limited okay. editions way okay. after. So the new series they cut it down to. Yeah, in the new okay. series they did five inch toys from right. 2005 up to maybe about 2012. Yes. Or thirteen, about about then, mm. and then dropped to a three and a half inch scale. Well, that's very irritating. Yeah, so all the toys for certainly under the sort of yeah, the, the Ice Warriors were three and a half inches as opposed <laughs> to five. So that goes back so to have, Cold War. So that's twenty thirteen. So you now have ironically small Ice Warriors yeah. with a big Matt Smith towering out there. Well, they made little Matt Smiths as well. Obviously. How big are they making Star Wars figures these days? Star Wars figures are and have always been three and a half inches. So actually, in a sense, for completists, it's really annoying because the Doctor Who figures don't match. They but just when I was, to be in when I was a kid, else. I used to play Doctor Who with my Star Wars figures. Ah, right. And I'd have spaceships with Star Wars and all I wanted was Doctor Who figures. And if I got Doctor Who figures that wouldn't fit the Star Wars spaceships... 
yeah. then I'd be quite upset. So maybe, I mean... Well, the Harry Potter toys also were three and a half inches. Okay, okay. And three and a, there are various industry standards, but three yeah. and a half inches was the size for sort of fantasy stroke sci-fi. So maybe this is a way of fostering fan fiction, is by making making three and you a half inches. You think everything and, comes down to fan fiction? Well, no, fiction. but, but the, the, a child's imagination is doesn't draw boundaries between Harry Potter, Doctor Who, Star yeah. Wars. And that's what character they, options were They hoping. play, and fan fiction is about play. So it's kind of fostering that creativity through play. Well, it's fostering play through having toys the right size. Yeah. It's not, and that's it's, what they were you hoping. You can't have stickle bricks and Lego and build things with stickle bricks and Lego. You have to do one thing or another. Well, this is what character options are obviously hoping, because the yeah. five-inch range was dying a bit of a death. Yeah. So they thought, let's relaunch at a size that's compatible with Harry mm-hmm. Potter yes. and Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. and yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. And it didn't work. Oh, okay. Um, because the, the re- because you know these things are cyclical. Yeah. I mean, the Star Wars ones are cyclical because the films are cyclical. Yes. But if Doctor Who's on all the time. Mm. Uh, all these other toy ranges, like, I don't know, God knows what, but the kids are not going to buy Peppa, Poi, Peppa Pig toys mm. for the next 20 years no. at the same level of revenue and sales. Yeah. It's going to come and go in and out of fashion. Yeah. So Doctor Who went out of fashion in terms of the toy range for mm. a while. And character options are hoping that with the introduction of a woman doctor, a new show running regime, a different approach to the program, and a return to the five inch scale, mm. that they'll be able to relaunch the toy range okay. to be hopefully something like as successful as it was in that first flush for the first yeah. four years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. The toy range, uh, people have blamed this on Moffat, but the character options toy range was already flagging by the time Russell T. Davis got into the specials. Mm. So, they, I mean, they barely did any toys for the specials. Right, yeah. In fact, I think the only one, the only new sculpt they did for the specials was a Rassilon. Mm. Didn't get anything from the next Doctor or Planet of the Dead or Waters of Mars. Nothing okay. at all. No. So, it, you know, it was already waning by the time. You, so, you know, it was obviously a fashion thing mm. more than a popularity thing. Because Doctor yeah. Who couldn't be more popular mm. at the time of the specials. And yet yeah, the toys yeah. were yeah. just sitting on the shelves. Nobody was buying them. Yeah. But a return to five inch. Hopefully also, if it does mean that the toys become more popular again, you know, my hope, this is a personal thing, is that it'll relaunch the classics as well. Yes, yeah. Because Why have they stopped doing the classic the classic well, they just toys? don't sell. They're expensive right. to make. I mean, they are for, you know, a very particular, yeah, <laughs> particular yeah. market. Well, a toy... In the Doctor Who range, in the five-inch scale, whatever, it costs, I read somewhere, about £10,000 mm. to come up with the sculpt with the right, right specs mm-hmm. in order to get, you know, the right joint movements and stuff like that. Mm. So your basic outlay for each figure is about ten grand. Right Now, the classic toys, they moved into um, Forbidden Planet as exclusives. Right. And they were in runs of a couple of thousand, I think, mm. maybe, and they weren't selling out. Right. So if you think your initial outlay is 10 grand, on top of which you've got 
production, distribution, rights, mm. all these other things, then it ain't cheap to mm. produce these toys, and it becomes, you know, obviously relatively less cheap the fewer you make. Yeah. yeah. So they started to become, I think they just started to become too expensive for the sales. And I think they made a few, I'm not going to say iffy decisions, because you've got to make decisions based upon what you can do. Mm. So they put out a bunch of sets of Daleks. Right. Where you'd get a Resurrection of the Dalek set, Genesis of the Dalek set, Destiny mm. of the Dalek set. Yeah. And each set would be a Davros and a couple of Daleks. Right, yeah. And so basically they were just repaint jobs. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if they sold... Uh, people at this point start to refuse to buy them, right? Mm. But you don't need to sell so many because you don't have that 10 grand times two for the Davros and the Dalek outlay at the start. Yeah, yeah. So they were making decisions like this, which I think turned people's noses up at them. Okay. But they seemed like really sensible decisions to me. Yeah. And I lapped up those Dalek sets because I thought they were lovely. Yes, yeah. So, you know, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Mm. But to bring the five-inch toys back, I just hope it happens yes. and I hope it takes off. Yeah, yeah. I need um, a, I need an Azal and I need a Bok. There is a Bok. I know, but I just haven't got round to. I've got the dark. The trouble with the arc, the as arc, the Azal is it needs to be about thirty inches high. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe I could persuade. Maybe I could three D print one. But yes, I've got the I've mm. got the master from the demons, but not with the uh, not with the associated monsters. Oh. The other two monsters in that set being Joe Grant and the Brigadier. Is that uh, really? Yeah. Those are the sets of Master, it was a Joe set of four. Master, Joe Grant, Brigadier, and Bok. Okay. So, no, I just got the Master from that set. Somehow, I managed to buy it individually. eBay? Uh, no, Colleen Hawkins. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. People split those sets up all the time, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else we should talk about? I've got a list of things. That Westworld is really good. No, I'm sticking to Doctor Who now. I'll tell you what, just before I came out on Gallifrey Base, somebody yes. called Tiger Who Came to Tea right. made a suggestion about the Christmas special that I thought was lovely, and I thought, oh, I'll bring it up on the podcast. Okay. Because in the trailer, there's that tiny fraction of a second with Polly, right? Yes. Where the first Doctor's hand is glowing. Yes. And I don't know if you remember, but at the time I said... Oh, that there was a little bit of outrage about that because that's retconning yeah. 10th Planet. Mm-hmm. But if she doesn't comment on it mm. and the 10th Planet was in black and white, mm. you can't actually say that that didn't happen in the 10th Planet. It's just that you didn't see it. Yeah. Because how would you know his hand was orange instead of, you know, the normal flesh colour? Yes. Yeah. So, but, so there's, there's been speculation on where and how because obviously now we know there's going to be a Ben in it right yeah there's speculation on where and how Polly and Ben will fit in and um, whether twice upon a time will actually take place in some way concurrently Mm. with the 10th planet rather than in that tiny window between the Doctor leaving for the TARDIS at the end and Ben and Polly catching up with him when he regenerates Mm. And I said, presumably the stuff with Ben and Polly will be in the form of flashbacks. And Tiger, who came to tea, said, what if it's actually the previously on Doctor Who thing? And they just 
remade about half a dozen scenes from the 10th planet yeah. and stuck them all out together yeah. in the pre-titles as a previously on Doctor Who. So giving you a previously on Doctor Who for the first Doctor instead of the 12th. Yeah. And I just thought that was a lovely idea. Yeah. And also, and also, it would also serve as... A primer for re- people who... But also refilming scenes from a lost well, yeah. episode of Doctor Who. So, well, I mean, you, you need, what, 22 minutes? Worth of worth of footage. <laughs> if they could just, if they could just, if they've got the, they need about a minute. If they just of film it, yeah. But no, well, that, that clip sense. of Polly, I think I think I read where that comes from in the episode, and it was, I don't know, I might be totally misremembering somewhere in episode three of the Tenth yeah. Planet. Yeah. So it's a scene that exists. Yeah. And you could marry that. Oh, maybe that's the. I mean, they'll juggle they'll juggle things around, but I can quite, I can, I agree, I can quite easily see. So, so the end of the end of what was it called? What was Doctor the last, Falls. The end of the Doctor Falls is from Capaldi's perspective, and then meets the first Doctor. So, so the beginning will be yeah. will be previous. Yeah, like go in from four hours ago, yeah. and then following the the sort of precy of the tenth planet, following the first Doctor up to the point where he meets the 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 the. the it would have to be doctor. in the sense of previously on. Otherwise, you yeah. would have to tell the whole of. 10th planet or... yeah yeah and that's probably when we'll meet i can't imagine ben and polly will become no otherwise it'll become quite a crowded well the thing is the whole episode insofar as we can tell and i don't think there's any reason to, to think otherwise takes place during that few minutes where yeah. it walks from the base mm-hmm. to the tardis yeah so there's no reason for ben and polly to be involved in the story itself at all yeah so I think they've just got these two actors in for half a day to do a few scenes mm-hmm. from Tenth Planet. Yeah. And I, like I say, if you look at that shot of Polly and where that bit comes from, that looks to me like a recreated set from the Tenth Planet. And if you recreate a set from the Tenth Planet, <laughs> you just keep them in for an extra day and, and just and just do the whole thing like as a, a stage, stage play yeah, a stage with play. four cameras. It wouldn't yeah. be... I mean, it would cost, I don't know. I'm probably naive. But the temptation must be there. I think the temptation more than the wherewithal. Yeah, possibly. Probably yeah. Soon. But, but yeah, I think, I, think they'll, I think they won't Actually, have a Actually, you know, part, but... if they did recreate that, you could bung it out on BBC4 and use some yes. BBC4 budget to make it, here's a as-live recreation of the last yeah. 25 minutes of the first Doctor show at the night before Twice Upon a Time is on. Yeah. And for the... 300,000 people or whatever watching BBC4 at that time who see it, mm. they get a little preview of where Twice Upon a Time comes in. Yes. And for people who didn't, they get to see, you know, a 90-second mm. cut-down version of that in the yeah. previously on Doctor Who bit at the start of the episode. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins. Yeah. Who knows? Nice idea, though. Yes. And yeah. I now I've heard that idea, I'll be very disappointed if it doesn't no, yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know whether to talk about Peter Davison and Twitter. Well, I think it, that probably brings us round full circle to kind of fake news. So he mm. his statement became clickbait, which became viral, which then came back onto Twitter, and then it just went out of control. But the thing is, it's like the story is that he's been hounded off Twitter. Although his account's reopened again now. Is it really? I thought Janet Fielding said he'd never return to Twitter, ever. 
Well, apparently his account's reopened. He's not okay. tweeted anything from it. So okay. what's happened? Well, maybe he's know. handed it over to an agent or something so they I can tweet know. on his behalf. Peter well, Davison no, releases this. Mm. Peter Davison publishes his latest <laughs> yeah, memoirs. Maybe. I don't know. I just. I don't think he was hounded from from Twitter. Well, that's what he said. Yes, but I'm sure. And actually, and actually, I very rarely get replies to any of my tweets. So I've not been. I've not experienced that kind of trolling, bullying, that sort of Twitter thing, like a Twitter storm coming at me. And I'm sure it's quite. But if you're you know, disconcerting. No, but if you're in Doctor Who fandom. And you are on social media. You see that happening to other people. Yeah. So you know that it happens. Yes. And you know that ultimately it doesn't really mean anything. No. Because essentially it's all from people who don't have the power to affect anything. Yes. But I don't know what it would be like to be at the receiving end of it. It could be quiet. Well, I think the story is that he didn't really want to be on Twitter in the first place. Joined it because that's what everybody else, you know, Colin Baker, Janet Fielding and all the others were doing. And... Essentially, it sounds like he used it as an excuse to leave. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my life isn't emptier by the lack of Peter Davison on Twitter. No. I don't follow any of the Doctor Who people on Twitter anyway. No. The only person I follow on Twitter is Ian Levine, occasionally. I kind of dip in to find out what's happening. Yeah. And then I leave again. But the aspect of the Peter Davison thing I was going to bring up is that... The way it's been told since, related since, is that is that Peter Davison was hounded off Twitter despite the fact that he wasn't anti a woman doctor. No. Yeah. Except he had previously been on record as saying he didn't want there to be a woman doctor. Mm. And people are saying, well, he revised that opinion when she was cast. Yes. But he didn't. He said, I'll look forward to seeing what she does. She's a very good actress and she'll do a good job. Yeah. But he never at any point said he'd revised his opinion or whether he thought it was right that she had the job. Mm. And that's what struck me about it, is that people are saying, oh, these people who are having a go at him for holding an opinion that there shouldn't be a woman doctor are wrong to do so because he doesn't hold that opinion anymore. Yeah. Well, I just... I just wanted to point out, no, he didn't change his opinion. Did he not? So there was the, there was the interview with him at the convention, which a lot of these things came which up. Which is where it came from, tweets, yeah. But the full transcript of his interview, the full version of his interview, he did clarify a lot of stuff, and I can't remember exactly what he said. No, but I've read it, and right. I'm pretty sure that in all his clarifications, mm. he still never changed his opinion. Right. He just hedged around the issue. Possibly. I I don't know. I can't quite remember either. But I just... I, I don't think it was quite as clear-cut as it was reported. And I suspect, well. I suspect he is slightly uncomfortable with the idea of a female Doctor Who for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think if he hedged around the issue, I think that's fine. I think it's people who express, thing... express and continue to express that opinion without... And, and kind of... Without... If they're forthright about it, that's a problem. But if if they have a problem with the casting and they keep quiet about it, then 
then that's fine. I'm, I've got no problem with that. But the weird thing was... He can't keep quiet because he's asked a question. So no, the, best, no, no, no. the best he can do is head. This is it. Right. The weird thing was, he told the interviewer to ask him the question. Right. Okay. The interviewer okay. wasn't going to bring it up. Right. Yeah. And Peter David said, that, aren't you going to ask us about... This was backstage. Yes. Peter Davidson backstage said to him, are you going to ask us about Jodie Whittaker? Right. And he said, no. Yeah. Presumably he knew that Peter Davidson was on record as saying he didn't want a woman doctor. Yeah. And Peter Davidson said, no, bring it up. This is a bit like Trump talking about Russia. So, so you know, even when Trump's not asked about Russia, he still brings up Russia and then it becomes news. Except that Peter Davison doesn't have the responsibility that Donald no. Trump has. Yeah. And Peter Davison is, you know, an actor and he's of a certain age. And I mean, I, I, I haven't... It just struck me as really odd yeah. that he would ask for that subject to be brought up and then not modify his position. He went all around the houses. Yeah. Sort of trying to say positive things mm. about the choice yeah. without actually suggesting that he'd modified his position. Yeah. I mean, it would have been easy as pie to say, look, I mean, this is what I was expecting. Yeah. When I read the transcript and I read that he'd asked for the question to be asked, mm. I was expecting at some point during the transcript, he'd say, look, I used to be against the idea. Now I've changed my mind. But at no point did he say I've changed my mind. Right. He was just saying all these sorts of things like she's a really good actress. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what she does. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, she is a good actress. Mm. And yes, a lot of people, even ones who didn't like the idea, are interested to see what she does. Mm. But that doesn't mean they've changed the idea, changed their mind about whether they like the idea or not. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It would have been so easy just to say that. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's always sort of, Maybe, maybe he. I mean, he's always spoken his mind. He's always been honest. Yes. And in the past. Oh, and I like him and, for it. Yeah, and that. And in the past, his mind has been quite a nice thing to hear. So if he yeah. thinks the Doctor Who story is crap, famously he, he says, says it, it's yeah. crap. Um, and maybe he's just carrying on like that. Colin Baker often speaks his mind, and often I disagree with Colin Baker's mind. On this occasion. He spoke his mind, and I was surprised to find that he was... I mean, Colin Baker's actually the more progressive... Well, yeah, but it's more to do with the fact that Colin Baker's got 17 daughters. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a, yeah, that's another possibility. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just... That was the thing that struck me that was odd mm. about it. The way that he asked for the question, mm. and then, you know, took a slightly odd route about mm. answering it. Yeah. Should we call it a night? Okay. I thought we'd do about an hour, and we've actually done considerably more. Okay. So I think we should let people off of hearing any oh, more but of but people us. should watch Westworld if they have the opportunity. Okay. It, ta- it takes the original film, and it kind of explores every different permutation of it. It's basically Doctor Falls every week, isn't it? But <sighs> with the cast of Westworld instead. Kind of. It's um, created by Christopher Nolan's brother. And written by Christopher Nolan and directed well, by a recommendation if ever I heard it's one. It's amazing. It is brilliant. It is genuinely. It is genuinely. Christopher kind of Nolan's profound. brother co-wrote Following. He's co. He's co. Well, he's co-written most of Christopher Nolan's movies as well. I know, but that's the only one that I'm really all that okay. bothered about. Okay. That's the first Christopher Nolan film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was the first one I saw. Oh right. I don't think it's. I don't think it's cast as his best. 
I don't think anybody classes it as his best. No. But it was the first one I saw. Okay. Okay. So um, that's why I brought it up. All right. Okay. Right. On that note. Yeah. Until next week, where Matt won't be here, but I will. Probably, unless in, things in my go study. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's where I'm conducting next week for us. Okay. <clears throat> until then, I was JR. I was Matt. And we'll speak again soon.